0: Then I stripped off my onesie by the side of the road to do a wee in front of him and her and all the oncoming traffic in Batemans Bay. Michelle, Michelle, Michelle.
1: Ciao, Bella.
0: Oh, ciao, Bella. You all right? You're in Italy. (laughs) Trying to show off again.
1: Showing off. I am in Italy. I'm not showing off. Well, it's just, no, actually, I just wanted to say I, I'm i not at my normal location. So, there is going to be some weird ambient noise because below me is one of the most popular restaurants in this oh. little uh, village that I'm staying in on the coast. Might be able to hear some Italian, clinking. some clinking, some angry shout, bunga, who knows? Bunga. Muncher, mancha. Lovely.
0: Apologies in advance. Michelle, did you see the video I sent you of David Bowie and Mick Jagger silently dancing to Dancing in the Streets video?
1: No. took the music
0: away and put in some... I sent it to you. You've got to watch it. I've never laughed so bloody hard. <laughs> what was the music? No music, just the background. <laughs> Jagger's spinning around a pole going... Brrr. And then at one point he belches in David Bowie's face and David Bowie comes karate chopping his way in going, yeah, (laughs) when you take the music away, the dancing is fucking ridiculous. The best (laughs) bit is when they're in the streets, almost like shuffling down together in a kind of unison, not really, they're both really doing their own things. And then at one point Mm. they're kind of doing this thing with their arms, where they're kind of swishing them to and fro and the sound of the fabric (laughs) swishing. (laughs) For some reason it really tickled me, really
1: tickled me. Guys, I'm sorry, we've gone off on a tangent. I'm Geordie. And I'm Michelle and you are eavesdroppers because you are listening to eavesdropping the podcast. That's right. And I will just say we both got our... Email address wrong last. Did week. we? Oh, you dickhead! We, you and me. I know. We're a pair of I know. We are a pair of dicks. It's hello dot com. Just don't forget that.
0: And let me tell you, if you write in, you'll get something read out. Because, for example, I'm going to quote a little message I got from a lovely young man. He heard his shout-out recently. I name-dropped him as our one and only Gen Z listener. If I'm wrong, listeners, do write in at hello at eavesdroppingpodcast.com. <laughs> well done. And it's Callum. Callum, who is our lovely listener.
1: Can we call him Cal?
0: Uh I wouldn't do that without asking first. Okay. Oh, can I?
1: Cal the pal. Cal's our pal. Cal the pal. <laughs> How pal, cow? Anyway, he
0: says, "Hi, girls. I'm about five months behind. Still loving the podcast. I was driving home from uni, listening to the pod as I do when I'm on the M6, and was going to message on arrival when I heard my little shout out as resident Gen Z. I can or oh, Zed. Which do you say? Well, I say Z because we grew up on Sesame Street. I'm going to say Gen Z. I can confirm that we all think the world's coming to an end, but at least we can listen to Eavesdropping as it falls apart. Oh. Keep the good work up. Thank you, Callum. Oh, Thanks, so lovely. Callum. What a
1: pet. Oh, what a pet. Oh, you dingling. Oh, you dingling.
0: <laughs> Michelle, did you know that I was at a festival this weekend? I did.
1: And you looked absolutely gorgeous in your lace and Thank your you. Stephen X hat.
0: Thank you. Turns out there were some celebrities there. Who? Who? Your favourite. You know who you fancy, that guy that's really tall. Stephen Merchant was there.
1: Was he with a girl?
0: He was. And a man came up to him and thought that he was having a great time with Stephen Merchant. At one point, I saw them he was hugging him for about 12 minutes it's this guy called Big John he was on his own he was from Scotland fantastic guy hello Big John I doubt you're listening he was bald and he was tall as well this guy was tall and he had a paper crown it looked like it had been fashioned by a child Sellotape to the top of his head and he was having the time of his life later on we saw him again and that's when he realized that he wasn't actually partying with Stephen Merchant and it was my husband. (laughs) So I think a lot of people thought it was because there was another couple of people I met at the Viagra Boys show, which I've got to say, have you ever seen Viagra Boys? They're amazing. No, I
1: haven't. I haven't.
0: They're a Swedish band,
1: Michelle. Check them out. You tend to love things that are Swedish. Well, I do. I love, I love a good I was going to say a Swedish sausage. That's rude. Mm-hmm. And you all know I'm vegetarian. I had to
0: take a swig of my <laughs> gin then. Bloody hell. Yeah, so Viagra boys, check them out. In the audience, two people who I believe will be eavesdroppers now and they may be millennials, I would say. That is Lauren and Jake. See, I remembered their names even though I was three sheets <laughs> to the wind. But they also thought that Stephen Merchant had come to the festival and I was with him all weekend and didn't even <laughs> know.
1: Paddy's got that face where he looks like he has got a celebrity face.
0: Now, listen, Michelle, apart from Callum or Cal the Pal, as you like to call him now. Sorry, Callum. We also had another message from a young lady. Well, I believe it's a lady. I I might be wrong. But the name is Shari. They got in touch and said many things. Actually, they listened to the David Pike episode. They live in Canberra. She lives in... I'm just going to call her she because I think it's a girl. She lives in Canberra. And she's a bit younger than us, so I don't think we would have crossed paths. But obviously, she remembers a lot of the stuff that we've talked about. And I got a couple of extra messages. And it says here, I'm seriously loving your podcast. I am still listening to episodes from 2021 and will be sad when I have caught up. And then she says, I have just finished listening to your 2021 episode on the atom bomb testing in the Marshall Islands and Maralinga. Guys, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen. That series... Oh, God
1: knows. Yeah. I actually thought that might have been beginning of season three, but people, I will put a link. I'll link the shit out of that. And she says, Wow, I was always aware it had happened but didn't know the
0: story behind it at all. My heart broke hearing about the islanders and how their lives have been completely messed up. I sadly had to skip the UK cat killer like most people, Shari. Not many people listened to that episode. It was a bit rough, sorry. Episode is I'm too much of an animal lover to hear that one. Looking forward to next week's show. That means she also missed the Piggy Palace, which is also that's pretty really rough.
1: That's really fucking rough. So I
0: did the Cat Killer. You did oh, the Piggy Palace? It, yeah, it was, it was
1: terrifying. I have to say today's episode is also going to be quite sad and terrifying, nothing to do with animals. But that's thanks to Shari, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. So I read Shari's message and Shari It really touched me and it kind of sparked the journalist in me to go on a bit of a dig for you. Now, in your message, you did say, I unfortunately went to girls' grammar up to year five. And when I was in fourth grade, a sixth grade girl was raped and murdered by her brother. The weird thing is, at the time, my mum said that it was kept out of the news. And to this day, it is impossible to find anything online about it. I actually went to my mum. I gave Jen a ring and I said, Jen. Is she your walking, talking archive? Well, do you know what? She's got a pretty good memory for this shit. I think she likes the gruesome. She likes Mm. the But do you know what? She didn't remember this. So then I kind of tapped into another person from my network who did go to Canberra Girls Grammar, Skeggs, as it's also known. Why is it called Skeggs? Canberra Christian Girls Grammar School. C-C-G-G-S, oh. Skeggs. I spoke to her about it. She was not the same year, but she remembers this murder. And in fact... No way. Yeah, she does. And she said there was a school assembly about it in the days after it had happened. Everyone in Canberra, she thinks, was shocked by this case. Yeah. And she said, God, I haven't thought about that in years. And she said, I, I actually feel sick thinking about it. Really? Now, I should
0: preempt to that by saying we don't normally anymore do episodes involving children and violence against children because it's too upsetting, very much like the UK cat killer. But on this occasion, I think we're going to try and handle it very, very sensitively, aren't we, Michelle?
1: Yes, of course, we will handle it sensitively. But for me, what really struck me about Shari's message to us because yeah. she goes on to say that the only things that she could find online were funeral notices and a weird bunch of mm-hmm. comments on an article about getting your baby's consent before changing their nappy. What? Yeah, I know. It. I actually found the article and it was about should you ask your baby, can I please change your nappy and, and for them to give their consent before you change their nappy. It's- How do they
0: give consent
1: when they're pre-verbal? I mean, it's a goo-goo, it's a gaga, it's a ah, whatever. It's a thumbs up? Who fucking knows? It's It's a hand up in the air. It's a fucking ridiculous article. But weirdly, in the comments, there was a woman who had referenced another woman who had, I may have got this wrong because I didn't write it down, but a woman who had maybe committed suicide and who had been really affected by this case because she'd been to school with this girl. Oh. Now, the only thing, actually, Shari even says this woman had terrible memories of it. Shari also says, I have since heard that the brother got out of prison and was forgiven by the family. So dark. Not sure if this horrific tale interests you or not. You ever recall it happening back in the day? Just wanted to share it as it puzzles myself and a few of my friends to this day. Why was it swept under the carpet and kept out of the news? I bet you can figure that out, Michelle, if anyone can. Well, I can. And the thing is, what really touched me about this message is that It's almost like she's being gaslit by the internet. Who? Shari? Yes, because she's saying here it is impossible to find anything online about it. And you know what, Shari? You're absolutely right. It is impossible to find information about this case if you type in the names of the victim and the perpetrator. And now look, I will just preface all of this by saying in Shari's message, she did tell the name of the victim and the brother, the killer. However, in doing this research and actually discovering all of the information about this case, I did reach out to some lawyers and also some media law agencies, both in the UK and in Australia. And no one has got in touch with me with anything definitive. So Shari, the reason why you can't find anything online is because Both of these people, the brother and sister, the the victim and the perp, were juveniles at the time, and they were not named in all of the court reporting that was in the newspaper. So if you type in their names...
0: She must have only known about it because she was close to it.
1: Exactly. She only knows that this case existed because it personally touched her. You're right. It is like it does not exist, on the internet and in this day and age with a digital footprint of everything it's really really bizarre.
0: Well Michelle already you have earned your one patron's worth of cash here because that's
1: amazing. Thank you. This is what she does she goes above and beyond people. Well the thing is that I actually wanted to get access to the court records from that time But A, it would have taken quite some time. And B, it would have taken quite some money. And we don't have enough money in our Patreon fund. We need more patrons. Come on, sign up. Michelle has the ability. She just doesn't have the time and the cash. So, yeah, I just wanted to say, Shari, the internet is gaslighting you on this case. But I did do some digging. And like I said, I actually found a lot of the court reports that were actually in the newspapers at the time. Wow. So just to do two things, first of all, trigger warning, because this case is quite disturbing. So if you're not into hearing the details, please go listen to the episode on fairies or something. And secondly, I won't be using the names because they had juvenile anonymity when this case was printed. It's nowhere on the internet and without the proper legal guidance, I'm not going to be the first to out these two people on the internet. absolutely not. So I will be referring to them mostly as the brother and the sister. Okay. With that in mind, Shari, hopefully you're going to find this interesting and maybe have a little bit of peace. So Wednesday, the 21st of September, 1983 in Canberra, which is the Australian Capital Territory, the headline reads, Youth Charged With Murder. A Canberra youth, 15, was charged yesterday in the Canberra Children's Court before Mr. Carhill SM with murdering his 13-year-old sister by strangulation. It was alleged in court that the murder had occurred at about 4 a.m. yesterday in Red Hill. Oh, my God. Now, Red Hill is a super posh suburb.
0: It's quite fancy, yeah. Really
1: fancy. And it goes on to say, And that the youth reported the matter to the police. The body was discovered by a uniformed officer in a house. The Children's Court said in a statement that the charge was formally denied and the youth had been refused bail and remanded in custody to September 29. Okay, so this is the first reporting of the case in the Canberra Times. Mm. And I just want to unpack a few things here. First of all, it says the brother has already gone to Children's Court, presumably the day of the murder. And if I understand it correctly, he denied the charge of killing his 13-year-old sister by strangulation. So to address Shari's message, there's no reporting of sexual abuse here. And I'll say up front, they don't mention that in any of the further newspaper articles. So I don't know if that was a Chinese whisper at the time, just something on the rumor mill. In the reporting, there is nothing here about sexual abuse. What I will say, though, is that the murder happened at four o'clock in the morning. It's all happening in the middle of the night. The other thing that I find odd here is that the brother reported this to the police himself. Oh,
0: not the parents?
1: In that bit of reporting that I just read out, it says he reported the matter to the police. Oh, God. Now, back in the 80s, there were no mobiles. He would have had to go... To the lounge room, or the kitchen, or wherever the phone was, and call the police himself. Make that call presumably in the early hours of Tuesday, the twentieth of September, nineteen eighty-three. The other thing I want to say here is: this strangulation. Was there any noise? Were the parents home? Did they hear any ruckus while the murder was taking place, or when the brother called the police in the middle of the night? Now, I don't have any answers to these questions. And the later news reports don't touch on these things, but they jump out at me as odd. Where were the parents? Were they there?
0: Well, I have to say from memory, Red Hill tended to be the place where a lot of the diplomats would live, mm-hmm. which meant there was always parties. When you were growing up in Canberra, I went to Narabunda, which was from that side of town. A lot of my friends' parents were diplomats. They were barely at home parties were rife we were a bit older though we're like 17 18 when all that was going on
1: i remember going to a boys grammar party throwing up on a extremely valuable and rare and expensive rug (laughs) nice one red wine vogue oh it was absolutely terrible to this day you know my sister will bring it up like i can't believe you you ruined that guy's rug It was one of those parties and the houses were big. Maybe they had different wings. In my house, if you made a phone call, every fucking person knew about it. You know, Redhill is wealthy. Maybe they had a big house. To continue with the archived news article, it says, a hearing date for the matter has been set for October 7 when it will be heard before the coroner, Mr. Nicholl, SM. Details of the youth's identity were suppressed by the court. Then it tells you who's in charge of the investigation. Because they're juveniles, identity suppressed by the court. So, like I said, I'm not going to out name and shame this guy. Please don't. No. So anyway, the next news reporting of the case happens on Saturday, the 8th of October, 1983, a day after the hearing. And the headline reads, boy 15 sent for trial. So it says, a 15-year-old boy charged with having murdered his 13-year-old sister was committed yesterday for trial in the ACT Supreme Court. Now, for anyone who doesn't know what a Supreme Court is, in Australia, it's one level above the normal courts. It's Mm -hmm. used for jury trials for serious major offences like murder. So, back to the report. Uh, He is alleged to have murdered the girl at his home in Red Hill on September 20. No plea was entered when he appeared before Mr. Nicol in Canberra Children's Court yesterday. So, what we have here, if I'm reading it right, is... He's not pleading guilty or not guilty at this stage. And I don't know what advice he was given on that, but it's different to his formally denying the charge. So now he's not entering a plea. Exactly. So back to the report. Although the proceedings were closed to the public, Mr. Nickel opened them to the press, subject to certain suppression orders. So this case has big fucking privacy around it. Yeah, because
0: they're children. Well,
1: A, they're children. They went to good schools. Maybe Shari's onto something with the schools didn't want their names dragged into the press. I don't know. But anyway, it says here that Mr. Nickel committed the boy for a trial on a date to be fixed and remanded him in custody. Like I said, here we know that the public is not allowed into the court case. Uh, The media has been given rules on how to report it and they've given him a trial date. And I think because both victim and perp are underage, it's sensitive. And I also mm. think it's interesting, like I just said, that the schools are not named here. Maybe they are a wealthy family. As Shari mentioned, the sister went to Girls' Grammar, which it is a fancy private school and only well-off people can afford those tuition fees. I don't know if that actually means anything. I don't know if wealth and influence could have any kind of measure on this case?
0: Well I will say just quickly Michelle just as an aside you asked me to look into something for this episode and whilst doing that I saw an awful report about a very young girl who was murdered by an equally young boy in Scotland a couple of years ago and they have named him. He was 14.
1: I had guidance on UK law. Now in the UK You are not allowed to name juveniles while they are still juvenile. But once they become an adult, you have free reign to then name them. What about with Jamie Bulger, though? They named those children from the very off and they were were nine years old. See, I wonder if that kind of maybe set a precedent. I don't know about why his name was revealed.
0: The victims' names are always revealed, but his two murderers, the nine-year-old boys... And that was in the 90s.
1: Yeah, there should have been juvenile anonymity applied to that. And I don't know why not. That's something for us to in, to look at, yeah. actually. But in this case, because I did not receive any information or guidance in time on the reporting of or, and lifting of juvenile anonymity, especially in historic cases. And look, in Australia, they all have different laws. WA has a different law to New South Wales. And... You know, I I contacted these lawyers and I didn't get a reply in time. So part of me would really love to be able to name the victim and the perpetrator here because, you know, Shari's message makes me feel like she's really struggling with the fact that there's nothing about this. It's like it never happened. And I want to say it did happen, Shari. And here are the, you know, here are the reports. It's just the names. You're not going to find it with the names. Back to this reporting shari did say that she found the funeral notices and on saturday the 10th of december there is a notice of december yes so this is three months. months after yeah but it's not a funeral notice it's a thank you notice oh that's so sad three months later her i mean her family are obviously still struggling we're going to skip forward to friday the 27th of april 1984 where Presumably, if we are to take it as certain from the last report, the brother has been in remand this whole time. And to quote the headline, it says, boy on murder charge appears for sentencing. Now it says, the sentencing of a 16-year-old boy, he's obviously had a birthday, who has pleaded guilty to the murder of his 13-year-old sister, began before Chief Justice Sir Richard Blackburn in the ACT Supreme Court yesterday. The boy, who was 15 at the time of the offence, was charged with the murder of the girl on September 20 last year at the family home in Red Hill. At the opening of proceedings, Mr Ken Crispin, counsel for the boy, told the court that although the boy was not insane and was not strictly suffering from a mental illness... He was a disturbed person who did not have a full appreciation of the underlying emotional problems that had led him to the offence.
0: Wow. What does that mean?
1: Well, first of all, he's now pleading guilty to the murder of his sister. Yeah. And the court is basically hearing that A, he's not insane. B, he does not have a mental illness. But C, but diminished responsibility. Well, he's a, yeah, he's a disturbed person who murdered his sister. And that last sentence, who does not have a full appreciation of the underlying emotional problems that had led him to the offense. This is the first part of this reporting that I start to have a problem with, because this reporting is is really skewed to developing sympathy.
0: Sympathy for the perpetrator. Yes.
1: Yeah. And saying that, Basically, there are these underlying emotional problems that made him murder his sister and he didn't know about them. And that's what led him to do it. Hmm. Back to the report. The boy had been undergoing weekly psychiatric treatment since September. The next three months of treatment was likely to be crucial. For the sake of his rehabilitation and the proper exercise of the sentencing process, it was imperative that he remained in the ACT for that period, Mr. Crispin said. I think the reason they're saying this about keeping him in the ACT is because at that time, and I don't know, maybe there's still not, there was no there's prison. There was no high security, yeah. So... The brother would have to be moved to New South Wales.
0: Goulburn or
1: somewhere like that. Yeah. So what I guess they're saying here is this kid needs psychiatric help. Mm-hmm. Please leave him in the ACT so that can happen. And keep him
0: in low-level correctional facilities.
1: That's the thing, actually. I'm not sure if it says it here, but he was in Quamby. Quamby.
0: That's the boys' school for naughty boys, Remand isn't it? centre. Uh, I, I remember Quamby because there was some benches that we used to sit on in Civic, and it said a girl's name, say, for example, we're going to call her Fiona. Fiona fucks boys from Quamby or something like that. It was. <laughs> and the weird thing is, <laughs> oh I can't remember God. the full name, the night before I left Australia for good, I went out with my brother at the uh, mm. local Amigos in Batemans Bay, which was a night spot not far from our house. I was wearing a onesie that night, like a, an all-in-one short suit. <laughs> And I remember it very well because we met this girl. It was Terry Townley. We met this girl. She came back to the beach where we lived. I carried on because I had a baby at home and I needed to go and breastfeed or something awful. I know, yes, I was drunk because then I stripped off my onesie by the side of the road to do a wee in front of him and her and all the oncoming traffic in Batemans Bay. Well done, Geordie. But the weird thing is it was her. Her name was on the uh, benches. I said, "Oh my God! Did you, you fuck boys from Quombi? I oh my- you're that Fiona? Oh my God! Uh, yeah,
1: I don't, but yeah, somebody hated me. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> Did it also have like a a dick and balls with the cum? Yeah, three dots all of the of cum, cum coming all out. Of all of it. that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. man, poor Fiona. Oh man, well Quombi. Yeah, it was. You know, everyone had heard of Quombi, and you always were like." Yeah, you're going to end up in Quambi. It sounded pretty fucking terrifying. And it does come up in these news reports, but maybe not quite yet. But back to the report. Okay. It says here, Sir Richard said it was entirely proper for him to accept the boy's plea of guilty after hearing submissions from Mr. Crispin's evidence from Dr. Donald Lawrence, a Canberra psychiatrist, and reading a statement from the boy. In the statement, the boy said he understood that, despite the confessions he had made to police, he was entitled to plead not guilty to the charge and to take advantage of any technical deficiencies in the Crown's case. He said his rights had been explained to him with scrupulous fairness and clarity by police. He had instructed his counsel not to raise the defense of insanity. I don't know about you, but This is meant to be the statement of a 16-year-old kid. Right. Really? A disturbed 16-year-old kid. Look, I'm sure he's had counsel from his lawyers, but there is no, I cannot believe I did this. I'm so sorry. I'm racked with remorse every day. It it seems pretty cold. He initially pleaded not guilty. Yeah. And now he's saying, yeah, I did that because I want to take advantage of any fuck-ups in the Crown's case against me.
0: I mean, to me, it just seems really cold. Yeah. Is this his defence lawyer, Crispin? Because you know who that was, right? No. Justice Crispin was the residing judge over the Joe Chinque case that we covered last year,
1: the ACT murder.
0: Same guy. He was obviously the judge in that moment, but I think he's, is he defending the boy?
1: Well, yeah, he's, Mr. Ken Crispin is the kids' counsel. He's the counsel. Okay. He's the lawyer for the kid. Because this is yep. the
0: guy that let Anu Singh off the hook for murdering her boyfriend Jo Ching later when he became a judge.
1: Right. Well, I think he's pretty good because this kid, in the end, I think has uh, got a pretty good lawyer who is putting a lot of psychiatric mm-hmm. stuff, throwing it at the case to get this kid a lenient sentence. But we'll get to that down the line We got a bit bleak, we got a bit dark, we're two birds yacking, just just having a laugh. Back to the report, it says, at the time of the offence, he had known what he was doing and that it had been wrong. Although his motive still remained unclear. He understood that the maximum penalty for murder was life imprisonment. He said he still felt emotionally numb and incapable of fully experiencing the grief and remorse still to come, but was extremely sorry for his actions. So that's not his actual statement. I guess that's some kind of paraphrasing. I guess he is saying he's sorry and I get that he feels numb. I get that it hasn't all sunk in yet. The motive remains unclear. That really troubles me. There's some psychological stuff coming up, which just put a pin in that. Okay. Back to the report. It says Detective Sergeant Bert Kuypers, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, told the prosecutor, Mr. Jim Burchett, that the boy had telephoned the police in the early hours of September 20. Shortly after, when seen by police at Monica. The boy had told them he thought he had murdered his sister. Mm. He said he had strangled her about 20 minutes earlier. He had then accompanied them to his home in Red Hill. Uh So
0: he called them but then he went to Monica Police Station.
1: But this is what I don't understand. You can't walk there. Not from Red Hill. So he calls police from his house in the early hours of September 20. This is what this last statement says. Police come. Take him to Monica Police Station. He says he thinks he may have murdered his sister. He Hmm. then goes back to his house in Red Hill with the cops. Like, it's fucking
0: confusing. He's been accompanied back forth, yeah, with the police. So maybe it was just very, it was
1: confusing for them as well. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck just happened. But it does go on to say, later at the police station, he had told police that he did not know why he had strangled his sister. He said he had not argued with her and that he had liked his sister. Hmm. The boy had told police that he had formed the intention of strangling his sister sometime after going to bed. He had had a very strange feeling of deep hatred, which he could not explain. Detective Sergeant Kuipers told Mr Crispin that the boy had appeared calm and detached during the police interview and had shown no emotional response either then or... Or at his sister's funeral? Lacking in empathy. There's a lot to look at here. First of all, if we circle back to the funeral notices that Shari had found, they say a Thanksgiving service will be held at O'Connor Uniting Church at 4pm Tuesday, 22nd of September. No flowers by request. So that's two days after the murder. And the family have organised a service to pay tribute to her life. Or was it the funeral? I don't know. It's quite confusing. Obviously, the police were there observing the brother for any clues as to why he did it. Can you imagine being him? Uh, No. No, fucking no. He's there with his family, all her friends, presumably her classmates, and they know he killed her and there he is. Oh my God. It must be so confusing
0: for all those young people as well.
1: Because it must have been very shocking and difficult to comprehend. It's a lot for the family, for the friends, and even presumably for him. Secondly, let's just flag, the brother is saying he has no clue why he did it. More than he was overcome by a feeling of extreme hatred. He got it in his head, didn't he? But that to me is is at odds a little bit with the fact that he'd spent hours in bed formulating a plan to kill her. It's premeditated, Georgie.
0: Yeah, something had happened in the interim. He may not have hated her, but she did something to slight him, perhaps.
1: I don't know. There are some hints at some family stuff coming up. But for me, this is premeditated. This isn't she called him an asshole and he strangled her. You know, it's not spur of the moment thing. For me, it's fucking dark. But back to the report, which does start to go deep into some psychology of what was going on with this kid. And maybe, Geordie, you'll have some thoughts on this. The report says, The boy's father told Mr. Crispin that his son had generally been a quiet, affectionate, emotionally level and non-violent person and had got on very well with his sister. Since her death, his son had been sincerely grappling with the problem of finding out the reason for his actions, but had not yet succeeded." Dr. Lawrence, to- who's the psychiatrist, yeah. told Mr. Crispin that the boy had experienced a profound repression of basic personality components and that this, inverted commas, psychic blocking had mm. produced some, again, inverted commas, powerful and mounting tension within him. Mm -hmm. It was possible that this had given rise to some strong compulsion to act in a manner that otherwise would appear incompatible with his normal behavior. The boy had presented to the world a picture of being accommodating, cheerful, and a relatively successful schoolboy, but this in no way gave an indication of his other side that was striving for some form of viable and valid expression, Dr. Lawrence said.
0: Okay, can I interject? Yeah. This has brought something up for me. There was some insinuation from the reporting so far that I'm getting that there may be some sort of personality disorder at play. Yes. That's what I'm thinking. I may be wrong because no one's come out and said that. Don't forget, it's also the 90s. And for example, in the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic manual that uh, mental health workers use for diagnosing these things, there's one called narcissistic personality disorder, which a lot of people tend to think that murderers, specifically serial killers, Ah, right it's been said that Jeffrey Dahmer is one but actually it doesn't look like that he is because you have to have five traits in order to be diagnosed but narcissistic personality disorder was only officially recognized well it was actually officially recognized in 1980 so yes there was plenty of time for it to be possibly something and the only reason why I'm thinking that and not one of the other personality disorders is because i mean there's a lot of things like that you would know about a narcissistic personality disorder which is they think of themselves as better than other people and they have no empathy there are other personality disorders that display those traits but the one thing that i do know is that quite often there is a burying of the true personality and a masking to prove to the world that you aren't the the personality that you believe yourself to be. A lot of the time it happens in adolescence when the true personality starts to manifest. And a lot of the time it is males. So 50% and up generally with narcissistic personality disorder. I'm not saying he's got that, by the way. But I am brought to mind from what you just said of a serial killer called Ed Kemper. Okay. Do you know who that is? I
1: have heard this.
0: If you watch Mindhunter, he's all over it. Right. It's amazing, okay. that show, by the way. So he was a young man of 15 who had been quite difficult to live with. His parents had divorced and they sent him to live with his grandparents at 15. He got into a really big argument with his grandma and shot and killed her, right? Then his grandfather came home from the shops. So he shot and killed him as well. He went into a facility for uh some years. I think he was there for about until he was about twenty-one. And he played the game so brilliantly. He he figured it out very quickly what it was he needed to do in order to get the therapy done, say the right things, get out. He went back to live with his mum. He was so well behaved, a model citizen, up to the point where His record was wiped because he'd served his time. He'd proven it was like a a one-off. He was a model citizen. Yeah, because he knew very much what he was doing. Now, the thing about Ed Kemper, he has a narcissistic personality disorder because he was constantly, he was making friends with policemen while he was picking up, he says 150 people hitchhiking. But in actual fact, his body count was more like 10, including his mother and her best friend. They were his last two victims. Was all the while friends with police. He was very intelligent. He would chat to them. At one point, he even confessed because they just weren't catching him. Yeah. He wanted to be known and he was highly intelligent. But the thing about him was that he was able to hide the personality until it became too much to bear. And for example, it, the things that he did to his mother's body Oof. kind of was that was him just letting it go, letting it all go. And after that, he just didn't need to do those things anymore right he got tired of the the murdering he stopped and he handed himself in it's a very unusual case no
1: but i think that's really really interesting because a couple of things you've said touch on things that are coming up in some of these reports so i'll continue with that and keep all of that stuff in mind i'm not saying this kid is a serial killer we don't know i was actually thinking of dexter if anyone hasn't watched that brilliant series about a serial killer who hides in plain sight. Back to the reporting here. We had talked about Dr. Lawrence saying that, you know, he had this other side that was striving for some kind of expression. The report then goes on to say, The more the boy came to understand the psychological process going on within him, the less likely would be the likelihood of a repetition of his act. A large part of him was very aware that what he had done was a tragedy and a terrible waste. Another part had made a very powerful statement, which in its own sense was a valid statement. If the boy, inverted commas, comes to understand the validity of the statement and the other possibilities open to him, the need for this kind of crisis to recur would be very remote, he said. The hearing continues today. Now, I'm just going to say... What the fuck is going on here? Because for me... I don't know. From this report, the focus here... They're saying he's not going to reoffend. offend It's like they already know. Yeah. They're saying, oh, if he can just understand why he did it, he's not going to do it again. Right. The focus is not on the lost life of that poor fucking sister, but on no. the psychiatric assessment of the motive of the brother and how if he can just understand the psychological processes yeah. going on inside of him... It's remote that he won't kill again. What
0: the fuck? I think it's probably because I would say that's because of his age, to be fair. Yes.
1: And I don't want to sound unsympathetic here to a disturbed kid, but we've already had here. He's not insane and he does not have mental illness. That has already been established by the court. The kid's got some fucking problems. He's murdered someone. And now they're really pushing this psychological angle. And look, I know it's the defense's job to get people off a charge, but to me, this seems like justification. The report is saying that Dr. Lawrence says the brother knows what he did was fucked up, but that he was making a valid statement. I'm flawed. Like, what am I not getting here? What does he mean? a valid statement he was making a valid statement because remember at the beginning we talked about the boy said oh I didn't know I had some problems and oh I see and now I'm understanding the emotional stuff now it's like oh the valid statement is yeah I get that there was some stuff going on inside me and in order to feel like my true self I had to kill my sister is what I think this says Look, I'm going to suspend my thoughts on all of this, although I haven't, (laughs) Mm. Uh, because there's more psychological stuff coming up. The next news report is from the next day, 28th of April, 1984. And the headline reveals how the case is taking a twist into the psychology behind why the brother killed the sister. And the headline reads, Psychiatrist's Evidence on Boy. So... Sentencing proceedings involving a 16-year-old boy charged with having murdered his 13-year-old sister were largely taken up with psychiatric evidence when they continued before the Chief Justice, Sir Richard Blackburn, in the ACT Supreme Court yesterday. The boy, who was 15 at the time of the offence, had pleaded guilty to having murdered the girl, which is the sister, on September 20 last year at the family's Red Hill home. Dr. Donald Lawrence, a Canberra psychiatrist who has been treating the boy since the offence, told the boy's counsel, Mr. Ken Crispin, that the act of strangling his sister had been carried out intrapsychically. What? Yeah, I looked up what intrapsychic means. An intrapsychic conflict in psychoanalytic theory means the clash of opposing forces within the psyche, such as conflicting drives right. or wishes. Okay. And basically, it's just a fucking fancy name for inner conflict, internal conflict, yep. psychic conflict. I go through fucking psychic conflict every day. My boyfriend's driving me crazy. I want to strangle him. I don't do it. It's not quite the same, maybe. But I do find that they're trying to um, jargonize this stuff,
0: yep. I would say. Yep. I think people are desperate
1: to make sense of it, don't they? Well, I'm desperate to make sense of this. But going back to the report, it says it had been, and this is in inverted commas, an overpowering and a mastering of another self and an extremely urgent need that had gone a long way towards the boy's own self-preservation as an integral person. So basically he had to murder his sister. In order to become his true self. Yep. Wow. Okay. Okay. I'm a little blown away. Dr. Lawrence agreed with Mr. Crispin that there was a paradox in the fact that the assertive act taken by the boy had been a positive thing for him to do and in another sense had been tragic and completely wrong.
0: So what this guy is is saying... Why are we reporting this? Why is this the reporting? It's so unusual.
1: I wonder if the Canberra Times are reporting this because they are as fucking shocked as we are. It's like, hang on, so you're... Your defense is this kid had to kill his sister in order to feel like a whole person. In one way, it was a positive thing for him to do because he was joining the dots of his two selves, but completely tragic and wrong. Because he took
0: his sister's life.
1: I am really struggling with this tricky right moving on and i really am sorry if i'm coming across as unsympathetic but you're laughing at me because i I, I guess i am but i just find this really bizarre the reporting Mm. what's being said the council's angle on this it's really clever anyway uh back to the report it says during the process of emerging from childhood Into young adulthood, the boy had had some difficulties discovering his own personality and coping with the ongoing processes of family life, given the dominant pattern within his family of avoiding conflict. The messages he had received from the family environment made it very difficult for him to rock the boat, Dr Lawrence said. Given his own internal way of coping with things and the setting he was placed in, A powerful tension had built up in him. He had reached a point where the need to express these powerful aspects of himself becomes paramount, but he has no way of expressing it in the usual channels. Dr. Lawrence said. The evening before the incident, part of the boy was saying he could not wait any longer and he had to come out and express himself. The other part was aware of the enormity of what had happened. Very strong emotions of rage, anger and hatred were something that all adolescents had to come to grips with. If the boy's treatment continued, the stage could be reached where he could be reintegrated into society as a strong, caring, useful member. The hearing continues.
0: Oh, gosh. Yes. This is very troublesome. Really, isn't it? What do you think of all this? We all have traits. As teenagers, we all struggled with rage and not feeling understood and not knowing who we are. Crisis of identity, all of that kind of thing. But if we all went around murdering, that wouldn't be okay. So it's weird that they are kind of justifying it in a way. Yes. So that's unusual. And I wonder if it's because they've got that's all they've got to report on. That's all they've got, which is the words of this psychiatrist. Because it's, it's not been dumbed down at all for your Canberra Times readers. And I know they're very intelligent, the Canberra Times people. The language is very... Well, it's not what you'd read in the Daily Mirror,
1: is it? No, it's not. And at the beginning of a couple of reports back, they did say the case is largely taken up with psychiatric evidence. Well, this guy, this psychiatrist... Has only known this kid since he murdered. Three months. Three months he's known this kid. Well, they've done a lot of work, clearly. Once a week, apparently. Once a week, there's a session. Once a week? Yeah. I would think that should be daily. You would think so. But the way I kind of look at that last report is kind of like they're saying, I'm a teenager. My family fucked me up because we didn't talk about stuff. I'm full of hormones and rage. And the only way for me to be my real self is to strangle my sister to death. That's my takeaway from that like you said, we all go through that stuff. And I'm no psychiatrist. And obviously this kid, like I said before, by the admission of the court is fucked up and disturbed, but he's not insane. And he doesn't have a mental illness. He's just a fucked up kid who's killed his sister because he needed to express himself. And I'm really struggling with the reporting of this. I've never read any court court reporting like this ever. Yeah, Back to the reports. It's On the 3rd of May, 1984, the headline reads, More Psychiatry for Boy. Sentencing proceedings involving a 16-year-old boy who had pleaded guilty to having murdered his 13-year-old sister last year were adjourned for three months in the ACT Supreme Court on Monday. The Chief Justice, Sir Richard Blackburn, ordered that the boy be remanded in custody at Quamby, there you go, Children's Remand Centre, Red Hill, right next to where the family live, for further psychiatric yeah. treatment. The boy's counsel, Mr. Ken Crispin, requested the adjournment because it was believed that the boy was at a crucial stage in treatment and that the next three months would be critical. It was felt that he was moving closer to understanding why he had committed the offence. Geordie, there is a lot of attention, money and care being put into this kid to make him understand why he did this. I've never read anything like this where a kid has been basically given, at this point, basically six months of psychiatric care just to get him to a point where he understands why he did it. Do most court cases, like, put government money into understanding why a kid did this? What the fuck is going on here? And it also feels like this is being dragged out. I mean is he somebody
0: important's child is there somebody protecting him
1: well it really feels like this and it also feels like the longer they can put this psychological spin on things the Mm. the more they're building up a case for leniency back Mm -hmm. to the report Evidence given on Monday largely concerned the boy's apparent personality difficulties, in particular a need to prove himself to others. This had been noticed by a few people, but, with one exception, had not been seen as a serious problem. A former teacher told the court that one of the boy's teachers had spoken to his parents at a parent-teacher evening not long before the murder, mentioning that, Hmm. inverted commas, all was not well with the boy and that he needed help. But the general feeling gathered by the parents from everyone else to whom they had spoken had been that there was no serious difficulty. Essentially, one teacher spotted that the kid wasn't right and alerted the parents, Mm. but the other teachers thought he was fine. So they didn't take any action. How bizarre. Now, as a parent, Geordie, what do you think of that? I mean, it sounds kind of reasonable to me that if you'd be concerned if one teacher said your kid wasn't right
0: yeah sure you'd be taking it seriously and I think if the teacher felt strongly about it then they should be taking it further as well
1: right yeah but would you also just think oh maybe that teacher's got a grudge against my kid or I don't know I can kind of see maybe why the parents didn't take one report seriously back to the case basically the court grants this kid another three months with a psychiatrist And the next report that appears in the Canberra Times is on 21 August, nineteen eighty four, nearly a year after he murdered his sister. And the headline reads, Boy Accused of Murder Weeps in Witness Box. The sixteen year old Canberra boy who has previously shown little or no emotion to the alleged murder of his younger sister by the way, I don't know why they're saying alleged here, broke down and wept in the witness box when he appeared before the Supreme Court for sentencing yesterday. The boy, who was 15 at the time, has pleaded guilty to murdering his 13-year-old sister in the Redhill family home on September 20, 1983. He told Justice Blackburn that he could not fully understand why he had done such a horrific thing to someone that I love so much. That is my sister. From the time in September till my trial in April, I was emotionally numb and I find it very difficult to remember those times clearly, he said. From April until now, I have become aware of certain parts of me that I have been too scared to let out, but I have let them out with the help of a psychiatrist and family and now I feel a lot more at peace with myself. However, I know I have a lot more to do before I fully understand why I did what I did. And I know that I caused a lot of hurt and anguish to my friends and family. And I am very sorry that I did that.
0: Suppressing something. So
1: what I find really interesting here is from April, not when he murdered in September, but in April, I have now become aware of certain parts of me. Well, they've been doing a lot of work, haven't they? In that time. First of all. The journalist has made a comment here on the alleged lack of emotion of the brother during all the previous proceedings. And his emotion now is in a way proving testament to the success of the psychiatrist's treatment. This is how I read it. It's like, in the last three months that you gave me, I now see that I was repressing something. Wow, the psychiatrist's great. What raises alarm bells for me personally is, in the context of all the episodes that we've done on false memories and memory implantation. And I'm not saying that's what's happening here, but I'm just saying in the last three months, under the guidance of a psychiatrist... you think
0: he's being trained?
1: Well, I mean, you just talked about this guy, Ed... Kemper. Kemper, who knew how to play a game. I'm so at odds with this whole case. But in three months he's become aware of parts of himself that he's been too scared to reveal and now he feels at peace with himself that's what he Mm. said you know we did that episode on the Beatrice Six where six people pleaded guilty to a crime they didn't commit and didn't even remember that was insane it's a question that I'm asking myself here We don't know what was said in those psychiatry sessions. Him being at peace with himself, I don't know if that means in relation to the element of his personality that he now realises needs to come out. And that's why he killed his sister. But can you ever be at peace with murdering? And I know he has to show the court that he's been helped psychologically, but it really jars with me. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying I could be right. There is a little bit more to that report, but I'm going to skip ahead to the next day, Wednesday the 22nd of August 1984 where the headline reads New South Wales remissions considered 12 years jail for death of sister. Basically they've passed a sentence on him and it says a 16 year old Canberra boy who pleaded guilty to strangling his younger sister last year was sentenced to 12 years jail in the Supreme Court yesterday with a non-parole period of 5 years. So the minimum he will do is 5? Yep. Uh, In passing sentence, the Chief Justice, Sir Richard Blackburn, said he took into account the situation which existed in New South Wales where prisoners with no previous sentence were entitled to remissions for good behaviour. Sir Richard said that this would amount to one-third of the 12-year sentence, so four years. He said he took into account an amendment to the New South Wales Probation and Parole Act The result is that it is not easy to appreciate what period the accused will serve, assuming that he is of good behavior and is released on parole, Sir Richard said. I've calculated a non-parole period which will require that the accused at the time he is released with remissions will have served what I think to be a minimum proper time in custody. So basically, I think you're right. He could be out of prison in five years for murdering his sister. Yeah, Even 12 years seems like. Fucking not enough. He took a life.
0: Ed Kemper took two lives and he was out in five years, six years, and then to carry on killing more and more. I'm not saying that that's what's happening here. No. The justice system doesn't always work the way you think it should. No. And I guess it's because behind closed doors, there's a lot going on that we're not aware of, especially in this case.
1: Yeah. And the thing is that, to paraphrase this next report, they are recommending that the boy's psychotherapy is continued and that psychotherapist has access to him and that he should be somewhere where his friends and family can go and visit him. And that Sir Richard suffered anxiety in this sentence and he says none can say that the explanation of this dreadful crime is a simple one the boy had received a great many advantages in life had come from a comfortable caring background and was of above average intelligence wow okay and this bit Geordie is quite intense he says the boy originally had intended to kill his father what but shrank from the physical involvement and decided to murder his thirteen-year-old sister. Oh my
0: goodness!
1: What? Yes. So basically, he knew his dad would overpower him, so he went and killed his sister instead. And in summer, oh my god, I know. And in summarising the case, Sir Richard said the crime resulted from the combination of the boy's self-centred or narcissistic personality. You got it right. Perhaps going to the extent of a personality disorder. Note the word perhaps. They're still not saying Mm -hmm. that this kid is insane, has any mental illness or even a personality disorder. Anyway, and that was combined with a high sense of self-regulation and self-discipline. In a family that set great store by discipline and regulation and perhaps the suppression of emotions, this amounted to such internal pressure as to cause the boy to react as he had. So basically, once again, oh, he didn't have a family where he could express his emotions, so he wanted to kill his father yeah. but instead kill his sister. Because it was easier. And they oh, even say goodness. here that Sir Richard said it was important for the court to consider the rehabilitation and treatment of the boy, but it also had yeah. to treat the boy as a human being with moral responsibility as the medical evidence proved he was not insane although the psychiatric evidence resulted in a more lenient sentence
0: right so for some reason he was not of sound mind or whatever they're saying he's not insane but he would have had diminished responsibility for mm-hmm. some reason something happened whether it was a break whether it was an undiagnosed disorder Yep. that was affecting his mind in that moment and they believe that they can rehabilitate.
1: You know, I'm not saying that he's not entitled to rehabilitation but I just feel like this whole case is all about this kid, oh, he had some problems and he murdered his sister. You know, there is, doesn't seem to be a lot of concern here for the life that he took. I'm sure there was
0: but I'd say that, that like I said, the reporting is very unusual the way that they've... They, well, they've only got their stuff to go on, haven't they?
1: So basically, Shari... I hope this helps you find some closure and peace with the fact that even though it seems like the murder was covered up, there was a lot of reporting on it at the time. It's just that no names were mentioned, and I'm really sorry I didn't manage to get the correct legal advice about naming the killer. And in some ways I do feel really conflicted about the anonymity here because in many ways for the slate for this guy has been wiped clean from public record. As Shari said because there is no mention of his name in the media and you're right Shari without that it is like it never happened and there are so many things on the internet that you cannot scrub away like people who've had sex tapes or leaked photos but for 40 years this guy has had his identity remain a secret because he was a juvenile at the time and is it fair And is it right? I don't know. And I think there are a lot of ethics surrounding this issue. And I guess if you put yourself in his shoes, only the people that know what he did know what he did. And even then, there is no record of his name or her name anywhere that connects the murder to him. And in this digital age, it is a miracle because no one gets that anymore, but he has. And I think for people like Shari you know, she's left wondering what the fuck happened and was it all brushed under the carpet? But I guess if you put yourself in his shoes, he's dodged this murder bullet for his whole life and I don't even know how long he spent in prison because I couldn't get those court records and you cannot trace him. He's out. Well, he's obviously out. He's, he could have been out at the age of 21. And the thing is, you can't trace him unless you dig really deep and you know his name. To be fair, the law is the law and once you've done the time, You've paid for the crime. So I guess that's where we're at with this. And I guess he has to live with what he did and maybe that's the real punishment. But for the victim, that 13-year-old sister, her life in terms of public record barely exists, only in the memories Mm. of people like Shari who were really disturbed by it and live with that feeling even 40 years later. So I hope this helps, Shari.
0: Michelle, what an incredible deep dive. You've done yourself magnificent This episode. That was really interesting. Thank you very much. It was troubling and it was tricky. But yeah, there's a lot of stories out there which you just don't know about that have some really dubious background and we'll never know the truth. But you've done a really good job at trying to uncover the best version you could find of that truth i
1: suppose thanks well done i do feel a bit bad that there weren't any laughs this week sorry guys but it was a bit bereft of (laughs) laughter and so it should be it was very serious serious fair serious stuff people but what i will say is peeps people if you write in we will take it seriously if there's something to investigate exactly thank you shari thank you for writing in and thanks for being an eavesdropper michelle has those chops and she likes to practice them every now and again (laughs) Well done. But anyway, Johnny, look, I think there's only one thing left to
0: say. Oh, Michelle, I think it is about time to say, wherever you are and
1: whatever you do, just, just keep eavesdropping.
0: Dropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Dropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping all day long. song